I'm uh, Nicolas Bornos of Capital Inc. and I would like to welcome you to uh, uh, this uh, particular session. Our forum is called London Calling Supercycle Ahead for, for Shipping. So here we're going to have a panel that uh, will provide the investor viewpoint on uh, shipping. And then we will conclude with the panel from the ship owner perspective in terms of uh, do we have a supercycle? So without any more delay, I will turn it over to Joachim Rasmussen uh, from uh, Panelist Securities. I would like to thank all the panelists. I'll let uh, Joachim uh, introduce the panelists. And uh, I'd like to uh, remind everybody that we are hosting today's uh, forum in partnership with uh, Farnless, Astro Farnless. So Joachim, uh, double thanks to you. And uh, thank you to everybody. And the floor is yours. Okay, thank you, Nicholas. Um, just to... Uh tell everyone who we have on. Uh, we have uh, Mr. Andrian Daisy, uh, the CEO uh, of uh, a managing director of Global Transportation Group at JP Morgan. Uh, we have Simon Roxen Johansson, who's a global portf portfolio manager at KLP. We have Roberto Rondelli, who's the managing director at Pillarstone. And then we have Will Holman Russell, who's the managing director and portfolio at WMC Capital. Um, I think for the for, for the audience, for everyone to be, get a bit acquainted to each or every, you know, it'd be great if we could just do the round, uh, maybe starting with you, Will, uh, where you give a few words about yourself, the fund, the strategy, et cetera. And, uh, you know, just keep it short and simple and we can do the round and we can you know, dive into the, to the world of shipping. Okay, thanks, Joachim. Thanks for uh, inviting me here. Uh, Will Heaven Russell, I'm the Chief Investment Officer of WMC Capital and our main fund we're running there is the Albemarle Shipping Fund, which is a hedge fund investing in global shipping on a long, short basis. Predominantly equities, but also looking at commodities, FFAs, investing on a, from a kind of fundamental value basis, um, investing in various companies, strategies, sectors against themselves over the cycle of shipping. Uh, we've set up uh, in the end of 2018, when we started to see the supply uh, side really coming at fruition and have recently converted what was a UK LLP into a traditional fund structure uh, just this month and go, gone live this month. Thank you, Will. Roberto? Thank you. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm a partner at uh, Pilaston. Pilaston is a private equity investor. We invest uh, in uh, distressed assets. Uh, we are generalists, <clears throat> but uh, uh, we uh, started uh, uh, heavily investing into, into the shipping world from 2017 with the dry market. And uh, we manage uh, now 1.5 billion of uh, shipping assets. Uh, our strategy <clears throat> is obviously related to, and we can talk about it uh, afterwards, uh, to the cycle of uh, of, uh, of a shipping market, and uh, and we are uh, owned and invest KKR uh, money. Thank you, Roberto. Uh, Andrea? Hi, everybody. Uh, so I run a group at JP Morgan that focuses not just on shipping, but other transportation assets. We invest in aircraft. We have some land-based transportation, but in the shipping space, we primarily invest in the assets themselves. We're a bit different from a pure financial player. We do operate the assets uh, and our focus really has been on the longer duration end user driven 
approach and tend to put in longer term fixtures or charters in place and manage a diversified portfolio across many of the different verticals and shipping. So um, we have tankers, we have gas ships, we have dry cargo vessels and container ships and, and some specialized vessels as well. And our fleet's about 100 ships and we've been doing it since uh, 2009. Excellent. Simon, you want to do a few words, please? manager for a, in a long short mandate uh, where we do primarily shipping but also other energy assets much the same as will basically thank you okay thank you everyone um i think um you know it, it, let's start a bit broad here uh, and and i think uh, for for the people listening it's uh there's a lot of shipping competence on this panel and you know beyond the sort of scope of return what is it's it's a broad question but why do you invest in shipping what sort of creates the opportunity what creates the excitement is it is it the mandate is it sort of uh the asymmetric risk reward if uh, you know maybe simon or will who sort of are you know heavily shipping uh focus can can share a bit about why why you do invest in shipping i can start with it it's okay okay uh, well yeah, I've been working with having a long short mandate within shipping since 2007. And uh, being a fundamental portfolio manager, it's a very good industry to, to have a long short mandate because within shipping, you have all these segments uh, which in their inherent, you know, the basic uh, view of them is that they're all mean reversion. But within that mean reversion, there are, are big volatility and uh, you can play them up against each other. So for having a long short mandate within shipping is, is good and it, you, it, it's, um, it works well for that strategy. Also, what's good when you relate it to energy is that even though it's a mean version industry, it's an industry that you can have super cycles or, uh, or you can identify bottlenecks. So, so, so you can have, you know, go do heavy investment if you have a, conviction idea so this has been working for yeah 15 years so and i still think it's fun so that's that's why I, <laughs> so for a long short investment uh idea it's, it's good for a long only i'm not sure everybody's equally happy no I, i'd echo what uh i'd echo what simon says i've i've also been doing it for a similar amount of time since 2006 and it is, um, yes, it's a very cyclical space, which mean reverts. There are lots of moving parts. The demand and supply drivers are moving all of the time. So it's never, a, we're, we're never kind of just uh, buying a stock and waiting for five years and coming back to see what happens. We're having to stay on top of everything that's moving all of the time. And it's, it is an exciting space to look at. And there's a lot which is now set to change over the coming years, uh, as there always seems to be within shipping which makes it again an exciting space to be. We have a lot of regulatory change coming. There's a lot of change in the shipyard space uh, and all of these kind of fundamental drivers we can try to model forwards, try to value, try to estimate um, what kind of returns we can make versus other, other sectors, other companies. It's, uh, yeah, it's a constantly evolving, interesting space to invest. Andrea then, or Roberto, anything to add? Some color to why you love this space? 
I would just add that, you know, it's a love-hate relationship, and I've been doing it since <laughs> 1988, so a long time, and I'm, I'm dating myself. But uh, I think, yeah, as was mentioned, it continues to surprise. Uh, it's a little unpredictable, and there are factors that are not necessarily driven by the underlying demand that shipping represents, which is global trade, but there's the sort of ancillary factors that get involved. And we saw, for example, in the 2000s, a lot of bank liquidity, you know, a, a big demand shock uh, with, with China, of course, in that time frame. And I don't think anybody ex expected what's happened in the last 12 months with COVID. And uh, I, I would say that going into COVID in March of 2020, the, the, the mood was, was, was dire and, and gloomy. And yet here we are experiencing one of the best shipping markets in the history of, of the shipping industry. So, uh, you know, if you, if you have a really good crystal ball and you can be a real good forward thinker, then, you know, and you can put your chips in the right place at the right time, then you can do well. But I think, you know, having a balanced approach and what we do is just try to keep a portfolio that is, is not so much from an equity perspective, but from an asset perspective is both short and long. So we can exit when we can take profits and then, you know, double down if we see a good entry point from a price perspective. So it keeps you on your toes. Absolutely. I can just add that we like it. It's an asset-based, you know, uh, environment where obviously uh, we, we can invest money in a certain way uh, and uh, entering in the right point of a cycle like we did with the dry in 2016-17 uh, compared to today, where we start uh, uh, selling and, uh, and uh, exiting the, the segment, I think is, you know, it makes you realize how important it is to, you know, uh, enter at the right point in the cycle and then uh, try to maximize your, uh, your, uh, your profit when it's consolidated. And uh, private equity has to exit. We are not here uh, forever to own the investment. So it's, it's, it's a perfect... Uh, is a perfect space to, to invest. Perfect. Uh, thanks, everyone. Um, Simon mentioned it. Uh, Will spoke a bit about everyone, you know, speaks about the volatility. I guess this question could maybe be to, to either Andrew or, or Roberto to start, but it also goes to, to, to Simon and Will. And, you know, creating asymmetric risk reward is often sort of a key in, in successful investing. And I guess, you know, from an asset base, uh, that's, that's easier maybe than, than in equities. Can you, in shipping, can you, can you speak about how you create that? Uh, you know, what are you looking for? What are you looking at? Uh, what do you shy away from uh, in, in order to create that asymmetric risk reward? I mean, I can make a few comments about that. I, mean, I, I think you wanna, at least from our perspective, Focusing on assets that have the most liquidity is, is probably the safest bet. If you start getting into more specialized assets with limited liquidity or deployment prospects, then while they may, may look attractive at the beginning and, and you perhaps get a nice charter, if you don't have something to take it out at the end of that charter, which is unlikely to be for the useful life of the asset, then those are probably areas to, to avoid. Uh, and I, I just like to see sort of a you know, you, you have your, your, your field, if you will, and you're growing your crop and, and there are certain there are certain crops that you harvest at certain times and there are other crops that you just let grow and mature, but, but it's important to have that diversity. So I think in shipping, as opposed to perhaps in the equity markets, you know, where a company is focused on one particular uh, type of business, at least in my experience, having a diversified portfolio allows you to, like I said, invest more when something's weak and then 
take money off the table when you see something go up, which is the case now in dry cargo and container ships and, and arguably weak in the container in the tanker space. So diversification, I, I think, as an asset owner is critical. I, I tend to agree diversification is very important for us. We, we like the, the asset class because it's very liquid. Uh, and then he said, uh, you can exit uh, and you can get uh, your, your money back. And the way how we look at it, uh, because we entered in, in distress situation, we are able to invest our new money super senior. So we have first security on, uh, on the vessel. And uh, so for us, it's very easy to, to return money back. Uh, uh, at least, you know, the money that we invested with a minimum return and then we can wait uh, for, uh, for the upside. So that type of investing into shipping, we find it very clever because it's very difficult to, to lose money. If you obviously also enter in the right moment of the cycle, you can also make a, uh, an extra return. Uh, so distress investing into shipping, we, we found it very interesting. In particularly, when we <clears throat> started investing in Italy, uh, almost all the companies were too small to survive and very, very distressed. Uh, we have a lot of debt uh, and we have been able to basically clean up uh, balance sheets of, of the major Italian banks by all the uh, distressed debt uh, and uh, <clears throat> put in place a process of, of consolidating the market, uh, which has now uh, reached, let's say, a conclusion in this year because we, we managed to, to, to integrate a lot of companies and create a lot of synergies as well from, from a cost uh, uh, perspective. So that is how we looked at uh, at uh, this space. Yeah. So I mean, Will, I mean, you know, it's when you buy an asset, it's you know, you could always measure it against you know scrap and scrap values, and you know that kind of gives the downside. How how do you guys view this when when you try to create these these asymmetric forms in when you take on bets? Or Simon, do you just do long short and you know take out the risk that way? Oh, but it's not very different. Uh, because one thing that you experience in uh, shipping is, of course, that you always have this floor uh, of, 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 of NAV support, but you see equities trading well below or well above those levels at any given times. Uh, so so you, we always, you know, you going, and we can also enter into distressed situations. So, for example, if you take the dry bulk restructuring happening in 1915, you had Eagle, Genko, which was best equity, but, but they were sitting in the bank. Uh, and then we can go informally into discussions with the bank if you, if you want to take the company public again. And, and, and we do those situations. So we, we also look at, you know, of course, you have to enter at the bottom of the cycle <laughs> with investing shipping equity. Another asymmetric thing that happens is that even shipping is globally, or it hasn't been very global price. So you will find price differentials between Asian, European, or US regions, very similar type of companies. So there are a lot of, uh, and I will touch about that we can do FFA against the public equities. So it's enough, it's enough asymmetrical risk to, to create within a long short um, mandate, even though it, we're limited to public equity. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. No, uh, I guess one kind of one added element to the public equity space is given the it's quite small for the global market. So it has a limited covering. You often get quite large mispricings on both the, the kind of the downside and the upside. Uh, 
and one can try to isolate those via hedging out steel risk or via FFAs, intra-companies. Uh, you know, we, we can try to take advantage of exactly the same asymmetric payoff uh, opportunities. Perfect, thank you. Um, speaking of, um, you know, uh, things that were allied, um, and, uh, and Andrian mentioned COVID-19, you know, March 2020, uh, at least I wasn't, uh, I wasn't the one, you know, out there saying container is going to be the best performing sector when, when the pandemic hit us. And I honestly don't think there were too many out there who, who made that call. Uh, it became more obvious as we, as we went along. If we, if we kind of, you know, we went back and look what has happened up until now, uh, there's been an enormous rally, obviously, in containers. Uh, Drybook has also experienced great. Uh, we'll leave Tanker aside for now, just for the discussion, because my, my uh, and I think the audience will be curious, like, the rally has been really hard. Um, is it, does it have more legs? You know, are we, are, where are we in the cycle on, you know, the segments that have rallied? I, I understand Tanker is, you know, still not there, so let's leave that for now. But if you focus on containers and, and, and dry bulk and, and then maybe, maybe some of the other segments that have rallied hard. Where, where do you think we are? Uh, more legs to go or, or time to get out? Who wants to go for <laughs> <laughs> such a great question, right? That, 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 and that's the crux of everything, right? So you know, looking ahead and, I mean, shipping has been historically quite cyclical, right? And we've had this exogenous shock that, that has upset the apple cart in a positive way. Um, it seems like COVID is kind of not going away and it's a little bit here to stay with Delta, et cetera. And I do know that when you look at the quarantine and the logistics challenges in Asia, they're, they're still alive and well. So as long as those continue to be the case, I think they've eased a little bit maybe in Europe and, and, and maybe not so much actually in the US. So you kind of got to watch sort of when everybody is, is, is vaccinated and people are moving around more because, you know, ships sitting off the coast of China for two weeks. And, uh, and I, I know there's been plenty of calculations about how much of the capacity globally uh, these quarantines and logistic challenges has taken out, but it's anywhere from 10 to 15%, which is a pretty big impact. And so we, we have this perfect storm. But then at the same time, I, I do think the signs are that the U.S. economy is, is weakening a little bit. And I always sort of sit back and say, is the world that dramatically different than it was in December of 2019? And yeah, it, it is because we've been through through COVID, but economically, is that is it that different? And, and certainly we weren't experiencing these kind of container rates. So these are all, I would say, artificial. And at some point they will work themselves through the system. And, and that's what you got to keep in mind when you, especially if you're buying for the long term. If you're just, if you're trading and you think there's more upside, which there probably may be for the foreseeable future, uh, then that's fine. But if you buy for the long term, buying at these high prices, in my, in my, in my view, is a mistake. Simon or Will, where are, what's your what are your bets? Not not specifically, but do you do you, do you agree that we're sort of? I think almost... uh, when when it, when it comes to container, I will I, I would agree with Andy, but it's um, it's always like that when you're in uncharted territory. We've never seen this kind of effects in a container before, and, and and of course whenever when efficiencies go out. Uh, I would tend to agree that I would think it would be a large downside for what we see now. 
for dry LNG, I'm not so certain. I'm not certain where we are in the commodity cycle. It still have a lot of legs. Uh, and when you look at what capacity is available at the yards, where you see where new building prices are in the longer perspective, I'm not sure that we're there yet to say that, that this is over and this is the place to exit. Well, no, I'd, I'd agree. I, I would agree very much on the on the dry bulk side. Uh, yeah, going back to the shipyard capacity is the kind of that driving element. Having reduced by about more well more than forty percent over the last decade, there simply isn't enough global shipyard capacity currently at today's prices to replace the fleet fast enough. Especially when we look at new regulations coming in in the future. Uh, you know, we we don't really have the designs uh, or or the yards capable of building such ships that we don't we don't even know what those ships are yet. Uh, cost, the kind of cost inflation we're seeing at the yards, or at least what I estimate, is growing incredibly fast this year, 20-25% from steel, labour, uh, earlier in the year, the, uh, the weaker US dollar. That really resets the entire asset curve significantly higher uh, for the commodity-based shipping sectors where the where the, that replacement cost of the ship is a real driving factor to the to the longer term rates. So I think on the dry bulk side, the especially given the very low order book supply situation going forwards, it, it still looks relatively cheap in the long term. And on the on the container space, the yes, the liners have done very well. Probably one thing which will change going forwards, even when the market starts to revert to how we were pre-COVID, we probably will start running higher inventories globally than we had before. I think it's this kind of uh, situation has really highlighted the, the just-in-time delivery situation. There's far too much risk. It, it, it may make sense from a financial point of view, but it doesn't from a risk point of view that you can't actually deliver the goods that you're manufacturing. So we probably start seeing a, more of a just-in-case type inventory system, which should lead to probably higher demand further into the future. Okay, interesting. Um, I mean, this yeah. is a couple of observations, right? So it, 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 it wasn't so long ago that we were at a conference like this, maybe around 14 and 15, and, and, and everybody piled in in 2009 when the market was, was heading south. And we had pretty much a different situation, right? A huge overhang of of capacity, not capacity, but orders that ultimately got delivered throughout the course of the, the 2010, to, let's say 2020 period. And uh, and that was a really dismal period, right? And, and a lot of private equity went in and we went in and and I would say that, you know, the returns were not great. Um, and, uh, and now we find ourselves in this sort of odd position where, as is mentioned, shipyard capacity is contracted, regulations are there, slowdown in the fleet probably is going to be one solution coming in 23. And it all seems really good, and yet shipping does have this tendency to surprise. And, and, and the one thing that worries me is that when an industry that is not that big generates a lot of excess cash flow over and above what it historically generates on an average basis, where, where does that money go? I mean, the right thing to do would be for the container liners to, to branch out and you know buy air freight companies or, or, or something else. But if it all then piles back into buying new ships, then then you get a capacity issue, notwithstanding that yard capacity is limited. But I do think even though in China, there is some restrictions and how, because labor costs have gone up, the, the Chinese, and I, and I think they would still meet the challenge of sprouting new shipyards as far as I can tell. So 
all this cash being made now is is the thing that worries me the most uh, in some respects. Thank you. Um, then switch to to you know opportunities ahead. Uh, I shouldn't say tanker is the only segment that hasn't rallied because there's probably a few that I that I'm not aware of right now. But tanker seems to be the obvious one right now. You know, looking at containers, looking at tankers. Uh, maybe start with you, Roberto. You mentioned it earlier uh, today. Um, is tanker so the next one to to rally? <clears throat> Obviously, difficult, uh, difficult to 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 say exactly because COVID uh, has uh, broken a little bit, uh, broken a little bit uh, the, the schemes, uh, uh, and uh, and uh, we don't know what uh, the post-COVID situation will be. We certainly think, as I mentioned before, that uh, if you want to invest in in shipping, you need to be counter-cycle, cyclical, and I think. Uh, if the dry has really so much uh, for us, uh, makes sense to get out, uh, cash in some of the, of, of the profits. Uh, uh, and <clears throat> with the rest, talking about where the money goes, uh, we think uh, is a good opportunity now to invest uh, in, uh, in tankers. 70% of, uh, of our fleet is now uh, made up by tanker, MR and LR mainly. Uh, and uh, so we are waiting uh, obviously for this market to, to, to pick up. So our, uh, our hope and also our view is that uh, there will be a, a, a rebound in this, uh, in this segment. Also, <clears throat> last, la last point to mention, uh, the few distress opportunities that we see and where we can be active in uh, are in the tank and se tanker segment at the moment, because obviously, uh, especially small, small companies uh, uh, over leveraged company are struggling a lot. So we are uh, working closely with uh, two free owners uh, to try to rescue, you know, this situation. Um, so that is, that is my point of view. Simon, on the equity side, you, you agree in that? Uh, yeah, we can start looking at tankers now, yeah. But I'm not uh, overly enthusiastic. Yeah, the reason for that is that there's been too little scrapping the last, yeah, last year. So it's a big gapping overhang and all that scrap uh, tonnage is trading in a big embargo market. Uh, and the money is too good in that embargo market. So before it happens, uh, of course, it's a big normalization trade. So if you be, believe in normalization next year, four million barrels extra on the water, of course, then tankers is the place to be. But we're not sure about that yet. And, and, and given we're not sure about that. The risk reward is it's balanced, I would say. Uh, I would be much more enthusiastic if I saw more uh, demolition of the fleet. There's 30 wheels going to be delivered the first quarter alone. It's a big number. Mm. So um, then you really need the mod to pick up. And I would also like to see scrapping. And Maybe a reduction in the embargo market. So if I run with the return, I think it would be good for tankers. Well, mm -hmm. scrapping is interesting. Will, do you have a, do you share any views on, on the scrapping side? We are fairly similar view to Simon in that we've stayed away really from tankers uh, to invest so far, but beginning to get more interested now, but equally is, uh, yeah, uh, we're kind of getting to an interesting point, but the market has been, the physical market has been far too optimistic. 
waiting for this recovery to happen, which isn't yet happening. And like Simon has said, very little scrapping. But the the supply outlook in the tanker space is very positive. The the age of the fleet, the the scrapping pool that needs to be removed, is is vast and, and outweighs the order book. So if if those ships are actually removed as they should be, rather than trading in this embargo market, then it begins to look very interesting. Um, but three, four months ago, much of that was already priced in, into equities, that is. Um, they, they have retraced a bit as, as maybe uh, the equity markets become a little more rational. But at the same time, FFAs for next year are incredibly cheap. Um, maybe that is the way to, to play the to play the trade. Um, thank you. Um, just to switch a bit, uh, ESG, uh, the topic of any investor conversations and funds, uh, capital raising, etc. cetera. Uh, ESG, is there, is there a threat or is it an opportunity for, for shipping and investing in shipping? Oh, I can jump in. Uh... I would say it's just probably just a reality. Uh, I don't know if you can escape it. it it's, it's there and it has to be contended with. Uh, I, I think there are limitations in terms of what ships can and can't do on the E side of the ESG. But I would say the goal of, of a ship owner is probably to try to be best in class. And the point that Will mentioned in terms of new regulations coming, they, they, they are coming. And... Uh, I think probably one of the reasons we're, we're in a positive market too is that people haven't been investing in new builds so much, uh, although that's changed a little bit in the last few months. But uh, you know, up until COVID, there was big uncertainty around what, what the right asset to buy if you're buying for, for 20, 25 years versus if you're trading equities. I think that's a much uh, shorter time frame and you can be a lot more nimble. So um, I, I think, yeah, look, the world's more transparent. You have to you have to incorporate ESG, but at the same time, I'd also say the shipping industry, in my opinion, doesn't do such a great job of of articulating all the successes that it has or all the the, the positive profile that it has. Mm-hmm. And you know, very simply, you know, you look at the carbon emissions from let's say a ten thousand TEU container ship, which in aggregate it looks like a, a pretty big number. But then if you say, all right, what's the same emissions from 10,000 lorries moving that same cargo around the same distance on land. It's, it's, it's multiples of what a ship does. So better communication and education is needed, I think, and just articulating how efficient shipping is. And if we can continue to see knock down that emission level, then that's, that's pretty good. And then we'll see what happens with future fuels. Roberto, yeah. any comments? Yeah. No, thank you, babe. <clears throat> Obviously, ESG is, is for us, is, uh, for, for all the portfolio company that we have in every business, is, is a huge threat and opportunity. I think in the shipping business compared to other investments we have, uh, we see that there are much more opportunities, maybe because uh, <clears throat> shipping is a little bit behind compared to other industries in terms of regulation kicking in, and you can learn from other businesses. Uh, we find fascinating... Uh, uh, the fact that we can set up uh, some parallel business to the shipping uh, that can deal with the change of regulation and can leverage on the change of regulation uh, and ultimately uh, do well and do profits from that. Uh, ETS trading, uh, uh, advisory for companies. We find ourselves uh, obviously 
uh, in big threats when, you, when we need to understand or to decide which ship to keep, which ship to buy, which technology will be the technology. And uh, if you spend uh, uh, 40 million for a new MR now, if it's a good investment or not, it's very difficult for, for us uh, to, 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 to decide this. But for sure, uh, uh, parallel to, to, the, to the industry of shipping, there are a lot of opportunities that for an investor that does also other type of, of investment uh, can, can, uh, can consider. So Will, should, uh, should the company, should they buy uh, into new assets, uh, which we're not really sure what should look like in the future, or should they return capital? Buying back shares, dividends. I guess it very much depends on what the company is, which sector it's in. Mm -hmm. um, uh, like was mentioned earlier, the um, shipping is already incredibly efficient. Um, mm -hmm. Making it more efficient to begin with will be relatively simple, but getting it down, you know, cutting the overall greenhouse gas emissions by 50% over the next 30 years is, that becomes, that needs completely new term types of, uh, of propulsion. I think in investing now in modern secondhand tonnage is, is or relatively modern, middle-aged secondhand tonnage is probably fine, which can be retrofitted. I think making huge leaps into unknown propulsion technologies is very risky. Um, investing in assets which are adaptable and flexible in the future, uh, I guess, is the way to go. And we are seeing a number of companies beginning to invest in dual fuel, uh, you know, LNG ready, ammonia ready, etc. Things which could be retrofitted at reduced cost in the future, but but still, uh, you know, can't use these technologies which don't exist yet. Um, but no, I mean, this is a big opportunity for shipping. Um, it is, you know, uh, backing the right horse, uh, cleaning up the image for uh, the, the, the investment space. Um, I, I guess many lay people would consider shipping to be dirty. They see, you know, plumes of dark smoke coming out of a ship, but it is incredible. You know, it's 10 times more efficient than, than lorries, hundreds of times more efficient than air to, to transport similar amounts of, of uh, cargo. And then on the ESG, we don't even move into things like corporate governance, which is improving all the time in shipping, but certainly as an equity investor, uh, backing the right management uh, team of a corporation is very important. And the, and the, the corporate governance uh, of those companies is a very important thing to consider when making those investments. Thanks, Will. Simon, where do you, where do you stand on this issue? No, um, in KLP, we're pretty firm on it. Um, one thing is the new regulation that's coming if we, if we want it or not, and I think it will be good for shipping. Another one topic that is a shameful plate for shipping is, of course, scrapping, which has been there for as long as we can remember. It's been done very little, but now, at least for listed companies in Europe and in the US, maybe also, just starting to get more focus on it. Uh, so, I want to if, if I want to touch upon the ESG subject, this is close to my heart. It's how we demolish the ship and how the industry puts up with that standard. Interesting. Um, Simon, you mentioned the normalization trade. Um, if, I, if I put it out there, the biggest 
you know, maybe one of the biggest risks is, you know, COVID sort of easing and norm, world back to normality. Uh, but congestions are also, you know, being a big, a big, been a big issue due to COVID. So as the world normalizes, you know, the world gets better, it gets more efficient. Uh, we want the normalization, but that takes away congestion. You know, how should we, how should we think about that, you know, investing in, in, in future? Can, can we have both? Well, the first thing you, how you should think about that is that you want the normalization. <laughs> That's how we should think about that. And then we have to think about the investment later. <laughs> but uh, no, of course, for, for, for a normalization means that trades have been most hurt by the situation we're in will of course flourish and that will of course be oil demand jet fuel and tankers and containers which has flourished on inefficiencies will of course suffer if you look at dry boat there's also inefficiencies especially on on some sizes but if you look at the smaller sizes there's there's not it, the big number is not that big it's still three four percent it's not ten uh, for the smaller sizes that some said but uh, but uh, I think a normalization trade is, of course, to short everything in container and only buy tankers. Uh, <laughs> if that happens overnight, we'll make a lot of money. <laughs> if you're not making it the long side, we'll for sure make it on the short side. So that's the normalization trade, of course. Yeah. If it happens, I don't, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I believe it does. I, I believe we, we're going back to normal your next year, but, but that's my view. Hmm. Andrian, what does it mean to to your asset portfolio? Yeah, we, we, we try to chart sort of the middle path as much as possible and uh, not get too exuberant in this market. And again, we're not, we're buying assets, so we, we have to take a longer view. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, you know, right, right now, buying dry and buying containers is, it's heady business and that could uh, potentially hurt you. But uh, at tankers, I think, look okay. And uh, although prices... It was mentioned that you know new MRs are being quoted at 40 million now, which you know for ships that you could buy for 30 years ago, that's a pretty big jump in a new build price. And I think one of the biggest challenges is probably going to be for for seasoned ship owners to get used. If if there's an this is a price reset, if if, if shipyard capacity does not expand and uh, you know and we have to contend with higher prices, then there's a mentality. And if you look at historical average prices, they They've tended to revert to a, a, a pretty consistent mean over 30 years, frankly, especially on a dollar uh, adjust, inflation adjusted basis. So I think the, you know, you could get caught out of missed opportunities if, if this is, in fact, a step up in terms of long term yard costs, which the market will have to adjust to. So, you know, new builds become an interesting proposition. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, we, we just try to balance it out and, uh, yeah, sell the, the assets that are hot. Uh, which, which we're doing now. Okay, Will, anything to add, Roberto? To the, can we have, can we have both? We have to go short something. Will, I think it's more for you. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, it's, I, I guess that normalization, the key element of it is the timing. When does it happen? I guess if you'd have asked me at the beginning of this year, I thought we'd be more normalized by now. I thought we'd be flying around a little bit more over the summer. Um, if you ask me now, I think maybe 
maybe it's next summer. You know, it's, uh, it's taking a lot longer than we thought to get back to normal. Maybe from Q2, Q3, we start to see international travel picking up again. Um, until then, the, this kind of congestion and uh, disruption in efficiency can probably, probably keep these markets very unusually priced, let's mm. say. I think the point that you touch of timing, I think, is, uh, is critical, especially for, uh, for an investor that has to invest for, for a period of time. So critical, uh, the, the timing of recovery. Let's hope it's soon. Okay. Well, that's our time, gentlemen, Simon, uh, Andrian, Will, and uh, Roberto. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, thanks for your insight. Uh, I think we could have gone on for hours. Uh, there are big topics at hand that we're discussing, uh, but we, we caught up on a few of them. So appreciate all of your, all of your insight. Appreciate your time. Uh, and Nicholas, I'll, I'll give the word back to you. Thank you. All I want to add is a tremendous thanks. Uh, as expected, that was an amazing discussion. Thank you very, very much. So at the end of the day, you know, we talk about investing in shipping. You are the investors. So thank you very much for this great discussion. Yep. Thank you. Bye-bye.